Thursday Finance for our sponsor, Pritchard and Partners. And today, Mandy Barton from Centrelink will be join us, joining us. And uh, she's going to look at um, the changes that have been made recently to pension income and assets tests. And, well, we'll find out just exactly what has changed there. We'll also have a market update from Henry Jennings from Marcus Today Financial Newsletter. And uh, we'll find out what's happening with currencies and commodities. Brett Hall is along today and I'm going to find out about superannuation from him too. Brett Hall, before we go on to currencies and commodities, um, superannuation, I heard today that there isn't enough. People aren't getting enough superannuation for when they retire and that women are lagging well behind men. Yeah, that's right. Um, you know, and we always say it's it's important to... Uh, you know, contribute to super early and and uh, and build that wealth over a, a long term. Um, you know, the government's brought in some changes over the last few years, which decreases the amount that people can put into superannuation uh, as they get close to retirement. So, yeah, the, it's really important, obviously, to uh, you know start start early um, and and keep an eye on it too. So, uh, you know, if you're starting out in work and you're getting your first super superannuation contributions, it's important to make sure that uh, you keep an eye on that. Don't lose uh, track of the the records, um, because it, it makes a, a big difference in the um, long term. And it's often a good idea to put things all in one, isn't it? Consolidate yeah. super. Yeah, that's right. We, if we you often, can. yeah, mm. that's right. We often see um, where uh, people have multiple superannuation funds because they've had different jobs over the years, and uh, employees have contributed to different funds. So it's always a good idea to uh, look at potentially consolidating, consolidating those if you can. And uh, it just helps with, um, you know, keeping keeping track. Keeping track, yes. Mm. And women lagging behind. Perhaps they don't work as much. Yeah, that's right. Um, I think obviously, you know, I guess women some, you know, traditionally take time off out of the workforce for, for children and things like that. Um, and, uh, yeah, I guess that's probably one of the major contributors. In the meantime, what's happening with currencies and commodities? Yeah, it's been an uh, interesting week in, in some aspects. So the Australian dollar's up um, against all the major currencies this week, um, in particular, yeah, against the, the US dollar. Um, it's up uh, 3% this week, and uh, it's, today it's at um, 79.5 US dollars. Oh, so, that is up. Yeah, it's, it's good. Um, also up 2.5% um, against the pound. So one Australian dollar's buying you 61 pence. Um, against the New Zealand dollar, we're also up... Um, 2.3% and buying you $1.08, New Zealand cents. And what's my kilo of gold doing? Yeah, it's um, this week, uh, one ounce is 1560 um, and that's up 1.5%. Mm-hmm. So it's been a, uh, quite a good week. Uh, fuel prices. Ah, like. fuel prices. Yeah, one of our favourites. <laughs> so unleaded uh, Newcastle this week um, is uh, stable at $1.14, and, but up 7% in Sydney at $1.26. Dollar okay. twenty six, which so is interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, diesel in Newcastle. I mean, Sydney are both uh, similar this week at a dollar twenty three and a dollar twenty four, respectively. So it's, a, it's we can go out and buy some fuel. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> okay, <laughs> which is uh, a lot lower than than what we used to see it historically. Um, the equities markets. Yes, um, how are they so, going? Yeah, it's um, again this week. It's sort of we'll have a chat to Henry about it coming up soon. But um, it's been a bit of an interesting week, um, especially with the the bank stocks. Um, which we'll chat to Henry about. But um, this week, the Australian... So this morning, the um, All Ordinaries Index is uh, back at 5,798. Um, still not back at uh, 6,000 yet, and we're a little bit off it, but uh, it's pretty flat on the week, but they've had a bit of movement during the week. Um, in the US, the S&P 500 um, is up 1% on last week at 2,473. And in the UK, um, it's also pretty flat at 7,430. 
So then a couple of the major stock prices. Our favourite stocks for the moment. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that we look at. So um, BHP um, is at $24.83. The Commonwealth Bank, $83.81, which is up 1.5% um, after it had a bit of a fluctuation during the week. Um, our local health insurer, NIB, um, is at $5.78, which is down 3% on last week. Telstra, um, down 4.5% on last week at $4.11. Um, yeah, that's the, the majors. And that's how they're going. Mm-hmm. So that's currencies and commodities. And in just a moment, we'll be back with Henry Jennings and we'll have our market update. He is, of course, from the Marcus Today financial newsletter. And Brett Hall, time for our market update with Henry Jennings from Marcus Today financial newsletter. Hi, Henry. How are you this week? Good. How are you, yeah, Brett? Good, good. Thanks uh, for, for coming on. As Always usual. a pleasure. Yeah. So it's been an interesting week. Um, start off with the uh, RBA and their announcement regarding uh, interest rates. Yes. Well, this kind of set the cat amongst the pigeon. The, um, the RBA remains very bullish on the local economy, and they've been talking, amongst other people, have been talking about um, the need to normalise rates and what the new normal is. Mm. Um, there have certainly been some commentators suggesting it's sort of 3.5%. So bearing in mind that's around 2% higher than we currently are with the RBA rate, that would be a big shock to a, a bunch of households that have currently, we've got record debt in mm. this uh, in this country. So, um, yeah, the RBA really has set the cat amongst the pigeons, and instead of trying to talk the dollar down, it's actually ignited the Australian dollar, which is tapping on the... Uh, on the verge of uh, 80 cents at the moment. So yeah. um, certainly, um, you know, we even had Malcolm Turnbull out this morning on the uh, on the airwaves talking about uh, households needing to prepare for higher interest rates because they are coming. R- record low rates won't stay there forever yeah. and that people had to be prudent with their borrowing. Um, of course, APRA and uh, various other people have been trying to slow the, the, uh, the housing bubble down. Um, but certainly if you uh, start thinking about interest rates, Two percent higher than they currently are. I think that would seriously cons- um, whack the housing market. But this mm. is this is more a long-term story, I guess. It doesn't look like the RBA is going to be raising rates anytime soon. But certainly, any thought of rate cuts from the RBA seems to be off the agenda now. With uh, most economists predicting the next rate rise uh, will, be, well, the next rate move will be a rise, um, but it will be some way off. Although some have speculated maybe as early as March. Uh, next year, so um, mm-hmm. as, as as all good Boy Scouts are, you should be prepared. Yeah, that's right. I, I, um, I think if the cash rate goes to about three and a half percent, I think it adds about five thousand dollars a year to a three hundred thousand dollar mortgage. So, um, oh, three hundred thousand dollar mortgage. You obviously yeah. don't live in Sydney, where most people have a million dollar mortgage. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, uh, so yeah, when, when when that announcement came out, uh, the bank share prices uh, fell. The banks have been under a bit of a cloud because they were awaiting um, some moves, um, some regulatory moves from APRA in terms of their capital ratio requirements. Mm. Um, and there were some fears that uh, they would be quite draconian. Uh, the, the, uh, the numbers came out uh, yesterday yep. and we saw um, a very kind of benign approach from APRA. Uh, only moving those SETI rates uh, ratios up to around 10.5, which at the moment most banks will be able to do pretty comfortably with purely with organic growth, um, and they have until 2020 to do it. So uh, most banks have been aware that their capital requirements are going to have to be increased, um, and so have been making provisions to do so. So the banks have had a big rally yesterday. Hmm. That rally is continuing today. Um, which is good news for investors because, uh, 
you know, that's, that's sort of 30% of the market in Australia, and also it's a big part of most investors' portfolios, those big fat uh, fully frank bank yields. So, um, mm. so it looks like it's good news for the banks, finally some good news, because they've been sort of hit with uh, various levies and the South Australian government proposed levy as well. So it was nice for them to get some, uh, some finally some good news, mm. and, um, you know, we'll, we'll see. But, you know, it does appear that any calls for capital raisings or any necessity for them to raise fresh capital to satisfy these requirements are now probably not going to come to fruition. Yeah, I think that's right. It was, it was good news for the for the banks. And um, I see that the, uh, the the big resource companies, so Rio and BHP, have, um, so Rio have announced that they're going to um, increase the dividend. So. Well, they haven't announced it yet. But um, that's certainly the thought is that, um, you know, these, these resource companies have been very austere. They've driven down costs, and now they're seeing um, good rises in commodity prices across the board, especially iron ore. We're seeing that at 70 bucks US, which is uh, a pretty good number. So um, there is a hope, I guess, that uh, these resource companies will be a little bit more generous with their shareholders in terms of dividends and other capital management initiatives. They are throwing off a lot of cash. Yep. And they haven't been spending that cash on uh, on new projects, and certainly mm-hmm. the new projects in the pipeline um, are, are not as um, well, not as uh, capital intensive as, as they have been in the past. So yep. what what they do with all this cash uh, remains to be seen. But certainly the hope is that it will help the dividends. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, in the background, you've got BHP under siege from that U.S. hedge fund, Elliott Advisors which is trying to uh, shake things up a little bit. Um, So, you know, BHP and Rio may kind of stave off this this move from investors with, uh, with higher dividends. Yep. So with that, do do you think we might see the market back at 6,000? 6,000? There goes that unicorn. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The the problem that our market has, and it's just, um, well, apart from the fact that it's a bit um, lackluster compared to overseas markets, which are, you know, you've got the US markets at records again, is Mm. that we're so concentrated in a few stocks, you need those stocks to all fire together Mm. to get the market really rocking and rolling. And so far, all we've seen really is sector rotation. So one day the resources are good and the banks are bad. Um, The next day the banks are good and the resources are bad. So Mm -hmm. you really need to get the big four banks, BHP, Rio, and uh, Woodside, together with Woolies and West Farmers, all coordinated, because that's pretty much the market. Yeah, very good. All right, we'll just take a uh, short break, Henry, and we'll be back shortly. This is Thursday Finance for our sponsor, Pritchard and Partners. And at the moment, we're in the middle of our market update. Brett Hall with Henry Jennings from the Marcus Today Financial Newsletter. Henry, so there's uh, been a little bit of uh, positive news coming from uh, from the um, from China in terms of the economic data um, of, of just very recently. Should we be um, happy about the information or concerned? Yeah, <laughs> no, we should we should be uh, we should be happy. I mean, we we ride on the back of China. Mm. Um, you know, it's our biggest export market for some of our key commodities like iron ore and coal, etc. So um, we saw some GDP growth numbers come through at 6.9%, uh, which was above where analysts had forecast. Um, this is this is pretty good news um, for us. Mm. The, um, the problem, I guess, that China has is that uh, no one ever believes the numbers because they <laughs> tend to make them up. It's, it's more a function of how quickly they produce them. Um, yeah. It takes other economies a long time and other sort of uh, ABS 
Bureau of Statistics Services a long time to produce GDP numbers, whereas China seems to do them overnight on the back of an envelope. So um, that always throws some concern onto the veracity of the numbers, and um, we kind of take them with a pinch of salt. But certainly uh, things have improved in China, looking at those numbers. Uh, We have got a Communist Party big uh, love-in happening in October, so um, it's embarrassing for them if things aren't going so well. Um, during that time. So I would expect to see that sort of uh, GDP growth continue. Yep. Um, and it does, uh, it does bode well for our resource companies and our economy generally. Yeah, I think I read that uh, the steel production in China has been the highest in, in quite some time. Yeah, well, they, they've got this. Um, they've got this thing called the One Belt One Road policy, uh, which is basically building um, the new Marco Polo Silk Road mm-hmm. um, from China to Europe via uh, the rest of Asia and Africa, and uh, it's 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 a big um, project. Mm. And clearly, that they are not hanging around as opposed to what we're seeing from uh, the US in terms of their infrastructure projects. Yep. Uh, they tend to get things done, whereas the Americans tend to vote on them and t- take forever, a bit like we do. Yeah. Um, and um, this is obviously creating a lot of demand for uh, for raw materials. There's been some restocking, um, and yeah, the Chinese mm. economy looks to be going pretty well at the moment. They do have some issues with their with their banking sector and financial stability, which we're quite yeah. happy to ignore at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, certainly, those numbers were good. Retail sales were good. Yeah. Uh, exports were good, showing that uh, you know. Global Growth is improving. Europe's doing better. America's, um, well, America's America, really. Um, but Europe is doing better. Um, so, uh, and Japan's doing a little better as well. They're still stimulating. So things look pretty good for global growth and, and China in, in that respect. Hmm, very good. So um, Amazon, I know we, we often talk about mm. it each week. And yep. I've noticed uh, there seems to be a bit of a stream of um, reports that perhaps um, it's a bit over... Um, overheated the discussion and perhaps Amazon isn't coming for some time and maybe it's not going to be as imminent as as first thought. Um, right. Yeah, and maybe not as successful as as what is also being talked about. What, what do you think? Well, I, I mean, there was a lot of media coverage, a lot of speculation about Amazon. The reality is that, uh, you know, it will take them some time to get established here. We're not mm. the same as the U.S. market. We haven't got the same concentration um, of population um, and we certainly haven't got the same amount of population that the U.S. has um, in terms of that pop, you know, in terms of the, 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 you know, the big centers where you can get an Amazon product delivered to you in 20 minutes or something ridiculous. Um, so they are, they are coming. It is going to be a threat to retail. The bigger threat to retail, I guess, at the moment is uh, consumer sentiment. We saw some bad numbers out again from Maya this morning, another profit downgrade. So retailers are struggling, and if you get your product mix wrong, you can really hurt because margins are quite thin. But Amazon is going to be a threat. It is going to change things up. But you have to remember that it, you, know, you, can, you can buy stuff on Amazon now. Yeah. You just have to wait for it to be delivered a little longer. But, um, yeah. you know, and it will take a, a fair while for them to be established, and I'm sure it won't be as, uh, as massive as everyone thinks. Yeah. Um, not initially, anyway. It's a bit like all these things. You know, the, the promise uh, we saw from the tech boom was, uh, mm-hmm. you know, that we were gonna, the world was going to change overnight, and all that happened is that everything went boom and then bust. Yeah. Um, and it actually took a lot longer for the, all those promises of what the tech boom could bring 
yep. uh, to the economy to come through, and now we're seeing it. And this is you know ten, fifteen years later. So yeah. um, it will be a it will be a, a major impact on our economy, but it's um, it's going to be some years before it really cranks up to the full extent. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, things at Channel Ten seem to be getting uh, more messy. Oh, it's just you know it's, it's a billionaire's plaything. It's yeah. um, you know really and truly the future for free-to-air TV is not great. Let's let's face it. Um, yep. You know, with the advent of uh, of Netflix, Stan, um, and other streaming services in Australia, the, the future of free-to-air is is pretty bleak to say the least. Channel 10's future mm-hmm. remains somewhat under a cloud. Um, obviously, there's a lot of billionaires in there that have torn up an awful lot of money, which, you know, they, they obviously have the capacity to do it, but you know, Bruce Gordon and, and Lachlan Murdoch and all these people have been fighting and James Packer, um, you know, you feel a bit sorry for Gina Reinhardt, not that I feel that sorry for her ever, but <laughs> you know, she, she got towed towed along for the ride and has ripped up a considerable amount of money as well so it doesn't look particularly good at uh, channel 10 and, and you know why you would invest in a free-to-air tv station is utterly beyond me but you know bruce gordon has um has his win networks yep. to protect in terms of their content mm. um but you know it just seems like um you know, investing in free-to-air tv is, is a, just a bit like sitting in the shower and ripping up dollar bills yeah that's right and uh, lastly for today, Sumo Salad have been uh, a little bit clever with using the insolvency um, laws to get a bit better deal with uh, their leases at Westfield. Yeah, well, obviously, you know, again, the retail's under pressure. Mm. Uh, Sumo Salads were trying to... Uh, Trying to renegotiate the high rentals that they get in the, in the Westfield shopping centres, and they've um, they've used some of these, um, you know, uh, as you say, um, insolvency laws to put pressure on Westfield to cut rents, and it looks as if um, they are, have been successful. So um, I don't know whether that's something that others are going to follow. But, um, you know, certainly it's, it's helped them in negotiating lower rentals, which, you know, is, is a massive part of, uh, of any business. And yeah. you know, may, maybe the foot traffic that they're seeing through the shopping centres isn't enough for them to uh, justify any price rises anyway. So, yep. again, it goes to the, the problems with, uh, with retail and shopping centres as well at the moment. Yeah, that's right. All right, Henry, well, thank you very much. It was great uh, talking with you. And we'll talk to you again next week on Thursday Finance. Henry Jennings, Senior Commentator with the Marcus Today Financial Newsletter. Thursday Finance, and we are going to look at Centrelink and the latest changes to rules. (laughs) So, Brettel, we have Mandy Barton here. Yeah, Mandy. um, So there's been some uh, recent changes to the pension income and assets test. Um, Have these changes been uh, for the better or worse for... um, I guess, the the community. Well, the changes that um, came in on the 1st of July are a benefit to pensioners. What happens is we've indexed the income and the asset test thresholds. So for all our pension customers, age pension, disability and carer payment, um, they may see an increase to their payments as a result of these changes. Yep. And so those changes, uh, people would have seen the effect of those already to their... They should have, yes. Most people should have been paid in July. Mm -hmm. Um, So... 
with the income test to start with, the thresholds have increased. So for a single person, they can now earn $168 a fortnight before their payment reduces. Mm-hmm. And for couples, they can earn $300 per fortnight before their payment um, reduces. Someone who was receiving the maximum rate of pension won't notice a change because mm-hmm. of these um, alterations to the thresholds, but certainly part rate pensioners would yep. notice a change to their rates increasing slightly. Okay. So you just mentioned what the changes were to the income test. Um, So what are the changes to the asset test? So we've had a little bit of an increase to all the thresholds for the asset test also. Um, So for a single homeowner, the thresholds increased by almost Mm $4,000. For uh, couples, it's increased by about uh, almost $6,000. So just little jumps up, meaning that a person can have more in assets before their rate's impacted Mm -hmm. and therefore um, resulting in small increases to payment if they are either income or asset tested because of those increases. Okay, so how often do these uh, tests change? So, um, And do uh, pensioners need to contact Centrelink um, or do they just automatically happen for them? So. So the thresholds change every year on the 1st of July. Um, there's no need for a customer to contact to have these increases to the thresholds applied to their record, mm-hmm. but certainly all... Um, Centrelink customers should be keeping us up to date with their details so yep. that if their individual situation changes, that then flows through to their um, their own records so that we pay them the correct, correct rate. Yep. So what happens if someone's circumstances change um, and they don't notify Centrelink of, of those changes? Well, uh, if they're... Investments are going down. Mm-hmm. Most pensioners are you know, using their money to live on and so on. So over time, their investments are reducing. Mm. If they're not notifying that those investments are reducing, then they're potentially not receiving the correct rates and, mm-hmm. and being underpaid, if you like, because mm-hmm. we're not paying them as much as we should be if their investments are reducing. Yep. So you know, it's certainly in their best interest to notify those updates um, if their money's going down. Um, on the flip side, if they have a windfall or an inheritance and their assets are going up, um, if they fail to notify, they could unfortunately be overpaid. Yep. And if they are overpaid, then obviously a result at some stage you need to repay that? Absolutely, yes. They would um, have a debt raised and have to be recovered. Mm -hmm. All right. So did the rates of pension change recently? So the income and asset tests um, thresholds changed. So did, did the rates change as well? Um, the pension rates themselves didn't change. The, ma- change. the maximum rates of pension uh, for a single person currently is $888.30 a fortnight. Mm-hmm. For a member of a couple, it's $669.60 each. Mm-hmm. Those maximum rates did not change. But as I mentioned, with those threshold changes, part rate pensioners might have seen an increase to their own individual rates because of the income and asset just changes. Um, The pension rates themselves, they they are indexed twice a year. Mm -hmm. uh, So they will move up on next on the 20th of September and then they'll also be indexed again on the 20th of March. Mm -hmm. All right, very good. So we've got a few more questions. Um, We might take a short break and then we'll come back with a few more I guess, specific examples um, that we might ask Mandy. This is Thursday Finance, and we are looking at changes in Centrelink. Brett Hall with Mandy Barton from from Centrelink. Yeah, Mandy, uh, we had a question in the office this week from uh, one of our clients, and it's a a common question. And um, she was in the process of uh, filling an application form uh, for the pension, and her question was in relation to the valuation of some of her assets. So in particular, um, the car, um, the caravan, the boat and um, and some collectibles as well. So 
Um, and obviously, the other, which uh, is also very common, is the furniture in, in, inside the house. So obviously, the valuation of those is, is a little bit subjective. Um, for, for Centrelink purposes, um, how do people actually put a valuation on, on those things? We ask customers to put a fair current market value. So mm-hmm. in terms of with the reference to things like their cars, their caravan boats, etc., what would they get if they put that uh, on the market now. Mm-hmm. So not looking at things like insurance values, yep, certainly sure. for home contents, which can be you know extreme. Yeah. Um, yep. With home contents, we'd say, well, what would you receive if you placed all that in a garage sale? What yep. would be the value that you would receive? Yep. So Centrelink, we don't um, ask for valuations of those types of assets, mm-hmm. but we can certainly check assets um, that we think there might be a bit of a, a problem with. So yep. we ask for the details of a car someone has. Yep. So if someone tells us they've got a you know a current year model BMW, they yep. tell us it's worth $5,000, then mm-hmm. you know we'll check um, something like a red book yep. to check the valuation of those assets to see if it looks mm-hmm. like what the customer um, sure. has yeah. has advised us. Yep. So is that a, a common uh, mistake by applicants, um, you know, using the furniture as an example? I mean, I guess a lot of people think, oh, they think about their house and what they, the, the furniture inside the house and think what they paid for it, rather than thinking, well, if I put this on Gumtree, what would I actually yes, what would absolutely. I get for it? And it's, it's probably a, something that people need to be very careful with, isn't Home it? Home contents are quite often overstated, mm. I would say. So, yeah, when yep. I'm doing, I do a lot of public seminars, talk to customers, mm-hmm. um, always bring up that, you know, use the garage sale value for your home contents, not the market value or not the, um, yep. the purchase price or the um, insurance value. Mm-hmm. So the um, energy supplement. So um, I understand there is one at the moment. Is that right? There was a one-off energy assistance payment. Is mm-hmm. that the one you're referring yes, to? Yes, that's right. Yeah. So the federal government um, announced in the May 2017 budget a one-off energy assistance payment for mm-hmm. um, Centrelink customers. So those payments have now been made. Yep. So $75 for single people and mm-hmm. $62.50 for members of a couple each. Yep. They were paid um, around between the 26th of June and beginning of July. Mm-hmm. Um, so those our pensioners should have all received those payments at this stage. Yep. And was it just what pensions were is that applicable to? Oh. <laughs> Age pensioners received it. Yep. Um, I believe disability support pensioners, okay, but not yeah. carer payment. Yep, and that's just a once-off for, for this year, or it is. It was announced as a one-off in the federal budget. So, yep. yes, okay, very good. Um, now we often get calls from people um, uh, in the office when we're selling shares. Okay, and uh, they they often ask the question: Is uh, will this will the sale of these shares? And most of the time, it's the shares they've received um, from being an NIB policyholder or an RMA back in the day um, policyholder and have IOG shares. So most of the time, they're selling them uh, before they apply for the pension, or they're selling them um, afterwards, and, and they're always, you know, concerned about the imp- implications of that. It's always difficult for us um, to to give that advice when you know we don't know that there are other particulars. But um, so I guess firstly, for someone that is receiving the pension um, and they they sell their their holding of shares, um, do they need to notify um, Centrelink of that and um, possibly you know what the implications might be? They certainly need to notify because we'd Mm. be holding on their records that they have shares in Mm. any company that they hold them in. So they'd notify Mm. the shares have been sold. They'd notify where the proceeds of those shares have have been placed. Mm -hmm. And if if that money's just been simply moved from shares into savings, it wouldn't have any impact on their rates of entitlement. Um, With the shares, we're applying them uh, the deeming rules to assess the income on shares, Mm -hmm. and we would be doing the same to savings. Um, If they sold the shares and 
purchased an asset, bought a car, for example, they'd notify the shares were gone and we would assess the car as an asset. So yeah. whether it impacts their rate of entitlement depends on whether they're income or asset tested and what they've done with the proceeds from the sale. Yeah, I think the, uh, the, the I guess the common thought process is that you know, if they sold $5,000 worth of shares, does that $5,000 uh, that they received um, count as income? As income. Absolutely yeah. not, no. Yeah. So they're just simply, it, it's just the movement of the shares from one asset class to another. Yep. Okay, thank you, Mandy, very much. It's wonderful to have you along, Mandy, and we'll look forward to your next visit. Thank you, Brett Hall, as well. Thank you. And this is Thursday Finance for today. Back next Thursday after the midday news. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com. <laughs>